0: Begin tonight, and I have the Bible class, and we're going to um, try to do. well, We'll get through it, but I may ha- may not get through all the all the scriptures. But um, we're going to talk about the Herodian dynasty, so we go through the Herods, and uh, maybe it'll be a fun class. We'll see how this works out. Let's uh, let's go to God in prayer first. A oh, great God, we do love you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask, Lord God, that you will guide us in our studies, that you'll help us to understand your word, in a greater detail and that we can take something away tonight from having read your scriptures to give us the strength uh, and the courage to remain faithful to you throughout the rest of the week. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Be that will. Amen. The, uh, by the way, Stephen, I don't go on and forget this, uh, Pam and Stephen said thank you all for your prayers and they're pretty enthusiastic in their with their thank you and your calls, etc. Okay, so, the Herodian dynasty is like, um, a soap opera, but not a good one. It's just—it's just a soap opera. They're—they're uh, they're of a a group called Edomians. So when you look, at, you don't find those in the Bible. So you go way back to Esau and the Edomites and and the Samaritans, and you mix them all up, and you get Edomians. Um, and that's what Herod uh, is. And um, they are Roman rulers in in Palestine or the Palestinian. Uh, area and there, these are the guys that are in charge, you know, besides the governor um, during the days of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And there are five, there are five Herods in the Bible, in the New Testament that we're going to follow, and um, and then go from there. So, so the Herodians, or should I say that the Herods, are client kings. And what that is is so when Rome, so sixty three B C, Rome comes into power. Uh, this is around 46 BC. They're really in, um, in, in strong power, and they are appointing leaders, if you will. And so, well, if you're a client king, you're just a puppet king. That's all you are. So they, you know, they appoint your king. You give a certain amount of monies to Rome, and Rome leaves you in power. If you do not give them the monies, then Rome kills you. It's kind of simple, right? And so, you are supposed to keep your 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 district in order. Okay, and so with the Jews, first Herod, Herod the Great, you've heard of Herod the Great. He's not really, the only thing that made him great was he was the older or the eldest brother, right, of, of the, the rest. So Herod the Great, and we're going to John chapter 2, um, he was a guy, he was a client king, and Antipar, uh was the one, if you will, who installed his son, So his son Herod, as this this ruler, Julius uh, Caesar in 47 BC is the one who put Antiper in charge. So that's kind of where it all started, right? Way back around 47 BC. Herod the Great was very loyal to Rome. Uh, whatever Rome wanted, he did it. All the gold, everything went to Rome. Uh, he was an ally of Rome. Whatever, I mean, you, you need to kill someone, we'll take care of it. Whatever you want. He was a really good puppet king, right? Whatever Rome wanted... Uh, he did it. Now, he was also a pretty interesting diplomat in that um, the the Jews semi-respected him because he was into a lot of different things. And one of the things he did, which was really uh, important and valuable to the Jews, is in John 2 and verse 20. The Jews therefore said it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days, speaking of Jesus. And that's what Herod the Great did. He he renovated the temple. It took him 46 years. Well, it took a long time. He renovated that temple, made it really, really nice, and so they honored him in, in some sense. We're going to Matthew chapter 2 now. He married, uh, Herod the Great, married about, about 10 wives, had about 15 children. As you all know that he murdered one of his wives. Um, then he thought the boys and the mother were in conspiracy of trying to kill him, so he killed his two sons. Uh, and, and, you know, so they, they had a saying back in, in his day that it was better to be a hog of Herod than to be one of his children. Because, you know, he'll kill you. You know, so that was kind of the, the saying about this Herod. This Herod just wasn't a very nice guy. Um, in fact, he was very concerned about power and control amongst the, the Romans and all their rule. So I'm reading uh, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. This is the Herod. With the flight to Egypt with Jesus. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt. And there was, uh, excuse me, and was there until the death of Herod uh, that was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt did I call. My son. So this is the Herod that killed, murdered, without question. And that's what was so interesting, right? Even though he was a client king, they could murder anyone they wanted to. They could do whatever they wanted, as long as it didn't affect Caesar in a negative way. Right? Um, verse sixteen. Then when Herod saw that uh, he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its influence, from two years old and older and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi, then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, a voice heard in Ramah, weeping great mourning, Rachel, weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted, because they were no more. Alright. Then this Herod dies. And what I think about when I, I don't know if you think about this, but I'm reading the scriptures, and I'll read about this, something like this, and I go, wow, that's terrible. And think about when it, when it, it says that then he died. You know what I think about? It, I'm like, oh, and then he stands before God, and he has to give an answer why he murdered all these babies. I mean, just, that's kind of scary, right? So there's a little bit more to it than just the fact that he, that he died when you take it to that next level. Anyway, he died, um, so he's, here's around the days of Jesus Christ, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But there was a problem. So when Joseph and Mary get back to uh, Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, Herod the Great is dead. But there's another Herod, his son. And by the way, there are three boys. There's Philip. Um, and there's, let me read his name. I don't want to forget this one. Antipas, yeah. Philip, Antipas, and then uh, this one right here in verse 22. Uh, Archelaus. Archelaus was a, was bad news. Right? He was like his father in that he, was a, uh, he had a lot of bloodshed uh, on him. He was just not a good leader and so listen to what joseph thought when joseph saw this guy verse 22 but when he heard that archelaus was reigning in over judea in place of his father herod he was afraid to go there and being warned uh, by god in a dream he departed for the region of galilee and came and resided in a city called nazareth that which was spoken out through the prophet might be fulfilled uh, he shall be called a nazarene so they go 70 miles north of the nazareth because of archelaus so archelaus is is a uh, a Herod was a very um, unpopular Herod. The Jews did not like him very much. Um, in fact, not only did the Jews dislike him, he was a tyrant. He was an oppressor. He was just—you go back and study him. He was just a bad guy. Okay. His brother Antipas and the other brother, um, they Philip—they didn't like him either. So Philip and Antipas said. Let's go to Rome, and let's talk to Caesar. So they went to Rome, they talked to Caesar, they brought the complaint of the Jews to Caesar about their father, their brother, Archelaus, and then Archelaus was brought to Rome to go to trial. He went to trial, he lost his court date, and then Rome exiled him. They stripped him of all of his power and exiled him, and then you have now Tetrarch. And so now we have these two Tetrarchs, which are, which are a Tetrarch is like a, like a governor, you have two tetrarchs, and now they're in charge. Now you have, Pilate the governor? But then you have two tetrarchs. So these are more; these are lesser clients, but they're still client rulers. Okay, for Rome. So uh, these two answer to Rome one hundred percent. All right. Now we go from so we're leaving two Herods. So we got Herod the Great. We've left. We're leaving Herod um, Archelaus, and now we're going to Herod Philip. And this one uh, was a, is a good one decent, if you will. There's only one scripture about him. It's, it's neither good nor bad. Luke chapter three, um and verse verse one. So Philip had a, a very peaceful, long relationship as the governor with uh with really really no problems. He was really unlike unlike his brothers. Um but he is the Tetrarch over in a whole different area east of Jordan. Right? So he's way way off somewhere else, out of the whole limelight of what the Bible uh, speaks of. Uh, Luke 3, verse 1. Now in the fifth year, or the fifteenth year, rather, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of um, Aeturia, and Trachonitis and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, Texas. Uh, No, just kidding. of a place called Abilene, right? All right. Um, so so that, that's all you read about with Philip. So he goes off, and he's reigning as a, a governor in a, a, over there East Jordan, and he's quiet. Kind of good, in a way. His brother Antipas is the Herod that we read most about um, in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at him uh, for just a moment, and we're going to jump over to Leviticus chapter 18 uh, with this. So, Philip was very much a Herod. what I mean by that is he was he was conniving, he was manipulative, he was oppressive uh he was just he was just not a very model citizen or person in relationship to uh service to other people and he had this infatuation with his brother Philip's wife. Right? we know about that right. Herodias, John the Baptist, and this is where this whole scene comes in. So, for some reason, what well, I mean, she was obviously pretty to him, but he had this infatuation. And John is preaching to him, and John's message. Oh, by the way, let me tell you something about about the Edomians, Herod, because they are Edomians. They're they are descendants of Esau, but over time. There was a lot of intermingling. Remember when you go back and Jacob and Esau saw that marrying a certain group of people um, made his father upset? And he married them because it would mess up the bloodline. And it really did. And so they intermingled continuously with many, many different nations, even with the Samaritans who were also half Jew, right, half something else. And now they're, and they're all mixed up. And then so there's just, as far as purity, it's gone. So Edomians come about, and they're not, you know, really they're really distant Jews, if you want to, if you want to call them that. If there's that, that much uh, blood left somehow, um, so what they do is so that the Jews will respect them, they adopt Judaism. They kind of, they kind of follow it, and kind of don't, if you will, right? However that works out. So there's this relationship with them. With the Bible, right? They knew what the Old Testament said, and uh, we'll talk more about that later on with Agrippa. But they knew a little bit of the Bible. They kind of followed the Bible. They believed in God. They believed in the. But they were they were not um, monotheistic or polytheistic. They worshiped many many gods, uh, and they just they weren't really true believers. But Leviticus eighteen. This is what John was preaching to, um, to Herod, and the verse I want to look at is verse sixteen. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. So remember that uh, Antipas, Herod Antipas, has this infatuation with Herod Philip, with his wife Herodias, and he wants to marry her, and he does. And John the Baptist comes along over now in Mark chapter 6, and he says, it is not lawful for you to have her for your wife and the the great boldness of john uh, of course that is the end of his life because of the whole situation but the boldness of john to declare the message of truth regardless of where it may land um he does this with with um antipas and not a good result but antipas herod herod loved did not didn't mind should i say listening to john preach you know Tell me about this transition. Remember John's message. John did not necessarily teach. He taught Old Testament doctrine, but he taught the transition, right? John's dispensation was a transition from follow the law of Moses, Malachi 4, uh, in verse uh, 1 through 6. Follow the law of Moses. John's transition was, but there's now Messiah who is here, the Christ the Savior of the world, right, Yeshua. He would have probably spoken of Jesus by saying Yeshua. you know. But anyway, follow the Christ, the Messiah, uh, and he will save the world. And Herod liked listening to that message, that transition. In, in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And that is why these miraculous powers might work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is the prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herod's, um, excuse me, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous man and a holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. So he was perplexed because of that, that transition, if you will, in the message. Remember, John's message was never um, follow the law of Moses, follow the law of Moses. That was not as, you, can't, you don't read that anywhere where John said that. John says that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. That Jesus is the one to come. John says, I am the way preparer. So I'm preparing the way for uh, the Messiah who is to come. Uh, let's look at John chapter 1. And we'll look at verse um, about verse eighteen. Verse eighteen: No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, who is from of the bos- uh, excuse me, in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And they start questioning John about this, about God and about about Jesus. And they're saying, "Who are you? What kind of person are you?" He's the way preparer. When you skip all the way down to verse um, twenty-seven. John says, or let's go to 26. John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the throng of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, again, his message was all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. And John's disciples were taught also, we don't read this, but if you look over verse 35, they're taught to follow Jesus. Um, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked in upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So imagine, these are John's disciples John sees Jesus, and John says, that's the one you follow. So they left John, and they started following Jesus immediately. right? And that's the way it was supposed to be. In fact, John tells us, if you will, you're following all the way over to John chapter 3. And um, he starts talking about, about, about Jesus, and this is what John says. Verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them in baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. There arose, therefore, a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing. And all are coming to him. Verse two of chapter four tells us Jesus never actually baptized anyone; the disciples were baptizing. But the point is, is that now these guys are following Jesus. Verse twenty-seven, and Jesus, John answered and said, "A man can receive nothing unless it has been born or given him uh, from the, from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him." He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine must be made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so this is what's beginning to happen. Remember, John started his, um, his message and his, his life and his ministry six months before Jesus, right? About that time. Okay. So John is not saying follow the law of Moses. John is saying follow Jesus. Right. So his disciples leave him uh, instantly when they when they see uh, Jesus Christ and learn of who he is. His message though is just like Jesus. How do we judge Jesus when people say Jesus lived a perfect life? How do we what do we judge him by? By the law of Moses, right? Because Galatian uh, tells us that Jesus was born under the law of Moses. So he had to keep the law of Moses and keep it perfectly, right? So that's the law we judge him under when we say he lived a perfect life, right? John uses the law of Moses to help bring them, steer them in the direction of Jesus Christ. So he's in the days of of this Antipas, uh, the Tetrarch, who is Herod, or known as Herod. And Jesus has a lot to say about this Herod. Let's go to Luke chapter thirteen. The character of Herod is that Herod is just uh, very, very. He's very much a Herod. I don't know how else to say it, right? In spirit, he's a uh, very conniving, manipulative, uh, ungodly uh, man. Luke thirteen, Jesus says in verse thirty-one just at that time, some of the Pharisees came up, saying to him, go away and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Why would Herod want to kill Jesus? Right? This is Antipas. right? He wanted to kill, he wanted to kill Jesus. So, you know, it was the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. Um, the Sanhedrin, if you want to call that, wanted Jesus dead. Herod wanted, everybody wanted Jesus dead because Jesus is king right and the herods don't like another king because they're, they're not real kings, right caesar's king these are client kings right these guys can lose their uh position uh, instantly in fact uh when you when you go back and think about what they're thinking about that archelaus their brother look at one trial and they and they just exile him he's done so they don't want anything going on they don't want any trouble in fact when you think about Pilate, the governor Pilate had been in trouble um, because of many uprisings of the Jews, right? And so you have the zealots. Now, the zealots are trying to overthrow Rome. So Pilate's having to deal with the zealots. Herod had to deal with the zealots as well. So they had to keep their thumb on these guys. Pilate was threatened by Caesar, uh, saying that if you do not keep these Jews under control, you're going to lose your position. And they would have exiled him or, or murdered him whenever they're. Ruling would have been. That's why Pilate, even though he had so many warnings, let Jesus go and be executed. Even though Jesus was innocent, he knew he was innocent. He wanted to get rid of the uproar. He did not want an uproar to happen and uh, he himself lose his position. So, Jesus now, in the midst of, of Herod, Herod wants to kill Jesus, and Jesus sends a message back to the man who wants to murder him. And the message in, in verse 32. Uh, he said to him go and tell that fox behold i cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day i reach my goal so he, he calls him a fox you know so you know he's a you tell that conniving right i mean you know you know what a fox is he's he's slick he's that's who herod is right herod was was playing every side uh you know that's what they were just playing politics um being very cunning and very evil and Jesus just calls it he always does he calls the spade his spades and says, you tell him I've got work to do I'm not worried about Herod he doesn't give in fact he doesn't give he never Jesus if there's ever a person say, name one person in the Bible in the New Testament that was in the midst of Jesus whom Jesus never spoke to it'll be Herod Herod Antipas tried to talk to Jesus but Jesus never one time gave him the time of day never Never answered him, never talked to him. He sent a message to him, but he never actually spoke to him, though he was in the midst of Herod at some point. We'll get to that one in in just a moment. Um, Luke 23. No, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, let's go there first. So, during the days of Jesus, and uh, and the lifestyle of of this cunning individual, uh, Antipas Herod, Jesus also talks about the wickedness and the evil that would spread to humanity through this Herod, right? And, he, and also through the Pharisees. Herod was joined. We don't really get have a lot of information, but he was joined with the Pharisaical party. So the Pharisees would go to Herod, and they would discuss things, and they would try to stay in power. So the Pharisees were very, a very political group, Um, that claimed to be religious. So they were political first and religious second. And Herod was very political and and didn't have very much religion uh, in him, if you will, or relationship with God. Mark chapter 8 and the verse is 14. Verse 14. The disciples and Jesus. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Jesus specifically mentions, everybody gets that, we get the Pharisees, but what we don't think about a lot is Herod, right? Herod was was in cahoots with the Pharisees, and he would send messages uh, and, and converse with the emperor about this Jesus and about these these Pharisees and about the whole the whole Palestine or Palestinian area, and his messages were always um, messages of favor, right? So they would, he would send messages to Caesar, and they were always, oh yeah, we've got everything in our district under control. The Jews are, um, they understand that if you're in power, you're the king, we serve you, they answer to me, and I answer to you. One of those, he was always very cunning, and very slick, in everything that um, that he did. Again, his responsibility, like Pilate is to keep his thumb on the Jews and others like them who would uprise, if you will, uh, against him. So when we read about the Jesus, Barabbas is released. He was one of those zealots um, who was trying to take over Rome. So they, you know, put him in jail and uh, were going to, uh, well, they were going to kill him, but they didn't they kill Jesus instead. All right, Luke twenty-three. Luke twenty three. So when Jesus uh, during his trial, you, you know, and what you know, he goes back and forth and back and forth. They trying to think, what are they going to do with him, right? Um, Luke twenty three. The questions being asked of Jesus beginning at verse seven. begin of Pilate uh, in Pilate's trouble, Pilate heard that uh, Jesus was a Galilean, so he thought, okay, you know, let me send him to Galilee. Verse seven. And when he learned that uh, he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. So he didn't really want to see Jesus. He wanted Jesus to put on a magic show. He wanted to see some kind of miracle or or something. Remember, it's the same Herod that also wanted to kill Jesus. But at this point, he's not in his own um, um, you know, area of ruleship, so he can't. So he's under Pilate's authority, in Pilate's uh, jurisdiction. And so, Herod, you know, Pilate says, hey, why don't you go over there? Let's send Jesus over to talk to Herod. Let's let Herod question him, and let's see if this uh, accusation that's being brought up about Jesus, or should I say, accusations, being brought up about Jesus, if they're true or if they're false. Uh, Verse 9. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt, mocking him, dressed him in in a gorgeous robe, and sent them back to Pilate. So, when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, remember, it didn't... Maybe I should say the suffering of Jesus. It didn't start at the cross. Number one, it started when he came of age where he could understand, maybe. You could say it in that way. Um, But once he understood, everybody wanted to kill him. You know, later on in his ministry. uh, What a a life to live, right? You talk about the pressures of life, and um, how do you feel when... Uh, people start talking bad about you, spreading rumors or lies about you. You know, we always want to defend ourselves. We want to, wait, prove that to be false. That's not true. That's just an accusation. Um, we always have something to say uh, in defense, for the most part. And yet, Jesus never tried to defend himself. You know? In fact, the one thing he does say is, I did everything in the open, so there's nothing you can say about me that isn't, um, that, that isn't proven false. Just ask someone. They'll all tell you the truth about me, right? And so... They were uh, accusing him uh, very very cruelly, verse uh, verse 10. And they were mocking him and, and mistreating him. But yet, remember Isaiah 53? He's still like a lamb before the slaughter. He doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't say a word. He just takes it, right? And, he, and, he, and, and why is he doing that? I mean, it's at this point where, remember... He's already been in the garden. It's at this point where he could say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm not dying for you guys. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. And so he just He went on. And so this this Herod uh, is, is mocking him. Verse twelve. Now now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day. Uh, but before they had been at enmity with each other. So at the so Jesus Uh, through his uh, trial even brings enemies together kind of interesting right You know, enemy is kind of neat power of God Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them you brought this man to me as one who incites the people's rebellion and behold having examined him before you I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him no nor has Herod for he sent him back to us and behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. So imagine them, you know, Jesus shackled. And, you know, they're taking him from here and bringing him over there. And, I mean, he's, there's a lot. There's a lot that's in the account of the, the day before Jesus uh, dies. There's an awful lot. There's the trial at night, the illegal trial. There's just so much that's happening to Jesus at at this point over these next uh, this next day and a half. Really, it's a long, a very long day and a half. For, uh, for Jesus Christ. Acts 4, in verse 26. I just want to show you some of the character uh, Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate said, do you not realize I have the um, authority to kill you? And then Jesus says, you would have no power unless it were given to you from above, right? From the Father. And I want to show you in Acts 4, in verse 26, um, how they saw these, the people, the kings, the governors, uh, the tetrarchs, in that day, and what kind of authority they had um, from, from the world. Verse 26. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. But truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Here's the verse I wanted to get to. To do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. So so through all of this, with all the power and the authority that they had, the Tetrarchs had, the governor has, that Caesar has, who really has all the power? God, right? God was in complete and total control. Verse 30, 28 again. To do whatever thy hand, God's hand, and God's purpose predestined, that's what God was doing. He was everything... That he predestined, Isaiah 53, the fulfillment, the Old Testament prophecies about the Christ, that Jesus would be executed on behalf of the people, right, us. And God was in complete and total control through the whole event. And that is absolutely amazing when you think about that. But now we've got to remember that Jesus Christ was very much human, right, 100% uh, human, 100% man, and 100% God. At the same time, no explanation. I don't know how to explain that one. One of the things that we know from Philippians 2 is that Jesus emptied himself. So one thing we know he emptied is this. He was able to be tempted. You can The Father cannot be tempted by evil. But Jesus was tempted by evil. So that's one thing he emptied of his Godhead to take on the fullness if you will of being 100 percent man he was just like us in the temptation he had to say no just like we have to say no right he couldn't use i don't want to say this irreverently but he couldn't use god powers to rescue him from temptation he had to say no like we do right and so god gave them power uh and allowed them what jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power unless it was granted you, granted to you from above it's the same message spoken about peter uh, in Acts chapter 3. All right, now let's go to Acts 12. There two more Herods left. The Herod name now becomes um, what we're also familiar with, the Agrippas. The Agrippas are also Herod. Now, there are only, technically there are only two Agrippas in the New Testament that uh, are spoken of. Uh, and so they're part of the Herod family. Herod Agrippa 1 is the one we're going to look at for just a moment in Acts chapter 12. This Herod um, was the friend at a young age of Caliglia. Now, Caliglia is a Roman emperor. If you ever studied Caliglia or know anything about him, he was a very vile individual. He was just off, right? Um, so that's a good explanation for him. He was, uh, he was really, really off. Caliglia is the one that made Agrippa king. So when you read King Agrippa, again, he's a client king. Right, Agrippa is uh, a Roman, and so he has the power to appoint client kings, people who answer to him. He appointed his friend. And his friend here, Agrippa, uh, is made the, uh, the king. And he's the one in James uh, Acts chapter 12 who beheads James. Uh, now about that time, Herod, verse 1, the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up, well, number one, is partly the Herod's, but remember, these are Edomians, and they claim to be sort of sort of religious, and yet they want to kill Jesus, and they want to kill, they kill James, and to persecute the church. They're they're keeping a thumb, an oppressive thumb on the Jews. These these guys were not were not very good people, right? And and so uh, they they were they were they were trouble, right? They were a lot of a lot of trouble. Uh, Archelaus was in bad shape. Just you know, again, he runs Joseph and Mary off uh, up north. All God, part of God's plan. But this is also Herod Agrippa the first is also in Acts twelve the one that's eaten by worms. If you study it um, secularly, they'll say that he was um, he had eaten some bad food, and as a result. Um, got a disease and it, it became worm infested and that's how he died it's not what the Bible says right? so we'll go with what the Bible says uh, verse, uh, verse 18 now when day came there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter and when Herod had searched for him and had not found him he examined the guards in ordered that they be led away to execution and he went down from Judea to Caesarea who was spending a the time there now, he was a very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and with the people according... Excuse me. Well, the people with one accord and they came to him and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the kings in the country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them, and the people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. So that's the biblical account what happened to him, right? So, he was struck, struck by God. And if you notice, um, because they claim to be. Um, Jew, you know, linked to the Jews and Jewish people because they should know better because they have the law, and they supposedly follow the law. God's treatment of, of them is interesting. It's interesting how God treats the, um, uh, let's use the term alien center. We use that term, right? Someone that doesn't know any better versus the person that knows better. God's treatment, if you look at the Bible and you look at the people of God, how God treated the people that knew better differently than the ones who didn't know better. Just go back and start looking at that from Genesis all the way through. Like, his people who were supposed to be following his law, you know, God had a very... It's like us. We would do that as well, right? With our children or with someone else. We go, and you should know... I know you know better, right? And their friends are over there like, we don't know, you know. They didn't know. But you knew better. And why'd you do that? Same way with God. And so, I... Uh, Again, this man knew better than to give glory, take the glory from God, and give it to himself. He's eaten by worms, and he dies. All right. Two sisters. So Herod dies. He he leaves behind four children. Um, one of them is Herod the second. Uh, we're gonna read about him in a second. In closing, two sisters, Drusilla and Bernice, also daughters of Herod the first. And so Bernice is the one who. Um, is the, the pretty one and Drusilla is not, based on histori- the historical account. So Bernice gave Drusilla a really hard time, si- sibling rivalry. She oppressed her. She, she made her feel horrible about herself. So she married a man named Zizus and she, she wasn't faithful to him despite her sister because a man named Felix was kind of becoming available and she wanted Felix, so she whatever she got. Felix once Felix was going to marry her, she divorced Azazus and married Felix because that would give her more power just over her sister, right? So it means so that that sibling rivalry can continue on. So now she's uh, more valued, or Matthew, I mean Acts twenty four, more important than her sister. Which okay, that, that's good. Verse twenty four, uh, Felix and Drusilla, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present and when I find time, I will summon you. And you know, he goes on and and the message continues. So these two now become an issue. But, (laughs) kind of weird, Herod II um, was in an incestuous relationship with Bernice, his sister. This is the last Herod, right? This is Agrippa. Agrippa II. We'll go to 25. Acts 25. Bell's going to ring. Let's see. Acts 25, verse uh, 13. Now, when several days uh, had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice, that's his sister, arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And then it goes on to talk more about that. Uh, look at verse 22. Twenty-two And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear from the man myself tomorrow. And he said, you shall hear him. Speaking of Paul, verse 23. And so on the next day, when Agrippa had come together with Bernice uh, amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders of the uh, prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Paul gives his defense. And then we'll jump over to 26, verse uh, 1. And Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak. Uh, you yourself, then Paul stretched out his hand and he begins to speak. I'm gonna grab verse twenty six because this is the part that we remember. This is the last agrippa, if you will. Paul says let's jump all the way down to verse twenty six. For king the king knows about these matters, he's an Edomian, right? Adopted Judaism. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for he has this has not been done in a corner corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to you, to God, that whether in a short time or in a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So the last Agrippa, so five Herods that we've gone through, and those are all the Herods. They go from Herod the Great to Agrippa. And, uh, and they're all the same family line. And like I said, it's kind of like a like a soap opera, but not, not a very good one. So, all right. Sorry if I went really, really fast and a little bit, you know, I just wanted to get something out of this lesson tonight. And I hope that it was interesting to you. So, time's up. Thank you very much. We're dismissed.